So we've been in this year-long focus on harvest, and most recently we've been in a, a teaching series that we've called Our World Needs You. And for this uh, sermon that we're about to do, what Miss Susie mentioned at the beginning of the service, um, we do have a little fill-in-the-blank uh, sermon guide for everyone in the room, both adults and kids. And so if you happen not to have one of those, we have some face team members lined up in the back, and they love to bring you one. So if you don't have a fill-in-the-blank um, sermon guide, you just lift up your hand and they'll come, they'll come bring you one. And then there'll be pins, uh, should be pins in the seat backs in front of you as well. And so these guys will come bring these to you. But our series has been Our World Needs You. And the idea is that we are saying that the world needs you with a capital Y, Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. But that also Jesus reflects that back onto us to say our world needs you. My people, my followers, those who trust in me and love me and who've been transformed through a relationship with me. And so uh, continuing that series today, I want to teach you a story out of um, the book of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and chapter 9. And so if um, you'll turn there with me, that's where we're going to be. And today's message is going to be about, about sharing your faith with other people. And I'll be honest and just say that I'm, I'm terrified of doing that. I know I'm a pastor. Oh, by the way, my name's Nick. If I don't know you, I'm a pastor here. I'm a pastor, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years, like full-time occupational ministry, and I'm still scared of sharing my faith with people one-on-one. I'm honestly, I'm more comfortable doing it in this setting, like with 600 people, than just with one person. Um, In college, I worked at a a summer camp, uh, a youth Christian summer camp um, called Mfuge as part of one of Lifeway's um, centrifuge-type camps. If you've ever been to a youth camp at any point in your life, you know, usually you wake up, have breakfast, a devotion, or some kind of Bible study that morning, and then do an activity, have lunch, and then there'll be free time in the afternoon, come back for dinner, worship service, and then you go to bed. And that's a very standard kind of um, summer camp day. Um, Infuge was a little different in that instead of just waking up or in the middle of the day between lunch and dinner, just going to the beach or going to the lake or the mountains or something, we had mission projects set up all over the city. Um, This particular camp was in West Palm Beach, Florida, and we had all kinds of mission projects all over the city. And after lunch, the kids would go in small groups in the church vans out all over the city, and they would do painting, they would do yard work, they would do light construction, they would visit children's homes. They would go to assisted living facilities. Um, They would go to parks and uh, places where people would gather and they would give out free water or sing or share testimonies. They did all kinds of stuff all over the city. And that summer I was a a worship leader on staff. And so there were four of us who were sort of the senior staff. There was the camp pastor, myself who was the worship leader, the, the ministry site coordinator, and then our camp director. And the four of us were kind of in charge. And then we had another 20 or 25 camp counselors who led the groups of kids all over the city every day to do their mission project. So my point is, I'm, I'm at a missions camp as one of the senior staff members. And uh, so that's my role, all right? So because I wasn't going out every day with, with a group of kids to like a particular ministry site, I kind of got to go to all of them. So I would rotate around to go support the staff and encourage them to just work alongside the kids. So Monday I might be painting. Tuesday I might be uh, down at the beach passing out waters. Wednesday I might be at the assisted living facility. And um, this one ministry that was in Boca Raton, um, well, it wasn't a ministry, but it was a mission site for us in Boca Raton, was an assisted living facility, a nursing home there. 
And within my first couple of weeks, I connected with this elderly lady. She was in her mid-80s or so. And after just maybe two weeks of visiting with her and talking with her, we would go room to room. So I'd have three or four teenagers in the room with me, and we would talk or play a game or share stories or whatever. Um, After about my second week of visiting with her, I knew that the Holy Spirit was telling me to share my faith with her. Um, And so the third week, I found out that her um, religious affiliation was... uh, Judaism. I found out that she was Jewish. And so I left after that time and I thought, oh great, I have a common language. I can speak with her. She understands about the God of the universe. You know, she understands the idea of Messiah. Um, I've got an easy way to talk to her and share my faith with her. So the fourth week I went back and I'm all geared up and I'm ready to go. And we go into her room and we sit and we talk and we play a game and we leave. And I totally chickened out. I didn't do it. (laughs) So I'm mad at myself in the car, I, you know, I drive back, have the rest of that week, come back the next week, and I'm like, okay, second week, I get another chance, thank you, Lord, I'm going to do it this time. And so a new group of kids is there, we go in, we meet with her, I've kind of got my script ready in my head, how I'm going to get into it, and I totally chicken out again the second time. And so that weekend, we're having staff meeting, and I, I meet just with the senior staff, and I share with them what's been going on, and I just say, hey, will you guys pray with pray for me? I just, I feel stupid. I'm on this mission camp. I'm one of these senior staff people here, and I can't drum up the courage to share my faith with this one lady. So they laid hands on me. They prayed for me. We had a sweet prayer time. And that third week, I went back, and I'm like, this is it. The Spirit is on me. The opportunity is before me. It's going to happen. Nope. Didn't happen. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't share with her. I didn't go there. Nothing. Okay, so now we are now approaching our last week of camp. I know that it's now or never, and... um. I forgot to mention this first service, but we're at staff meeting, and we're now with all 25 of our staff members, and I tell all of them what's going on, and I say, well, all of you guys pray with me, and by the way, will you all hold me accountable when I come back home from Boca Raton today? Will you ask me if I shared? And I remember saying to them that, I said, if I don't share my faith with this woman today, I'm firing myself. Um, But we went, and um, I mean, it's on my mind, my heart is beating, my, my, you know, my pulse is racing, my palms are sweating, and I'm like, I've got to do it, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. And I finally did it. And I just jumped in there, and I just said, I know as a, as a follower of the Jewish faith, you understand the concept of Messiah, and I just want to share with you that I believe he has come, and that his name is Jesus, and that he saved me. I mean, I probably did it in three or four sentences. It was very quick. It wasn't this long, drawn-out thing. And she listened kindly, and we left. And she prayed no prayer. She made no decision. To this day, I have no indication that what I did made one bit of difference for her. But I know that day that I finally, on like my fifth try, after four significant failures, did what God asked me to do. And I knew that day he was pleased with me and that I had done the right thing. And as a person who... who I would consider evangelism or sharing my faith a weakness for me. Um, God honored even my weak, feeble, fifth strike, you know, attempt at it. (laughs) And for some of you, sharing your faith comes easy. It's natural. You enjoy it. You're you're at home. You're at, at ease sharing your faith. And for you, I would say that's a, it's one of your spiritual strengths. It's a spiritual gift for you. For some people, evangelism is a spiritual gift. Um, but for others, it's, it's not our strength. We're stronger in other areas. And, and I used to mistakenly think that if 
one of the spiritual gifts was a weakness for me that I was sort of not responsible for it. I didn't have to do it. You know, there's lots of us Christians in the world, so I'll do the two or three things I'm really best at, and I'll leave all the stuff I'm not as good at to somebody else. They can do it. But sharing your faith is one of those things that God over and over and over, and Jesus himself over and over and over said, I want you to do this. I'm asking you to do this. I want you to tell others about me. Whether you feel like you're good at it or not, I'm asking you to do this. And so even though sharing your faith and evangelism is a spiritual gift, it's also a a biblical command for all Christ followers. It's something that we all have the responsibility to do. Um, If you're following along in the little guide here, you'll see that that's the first couple of blanks. I'll try to make... Uh, um, draw attention to these, and they'll also be up on the screen behind me if you're following along. Kids and adults encourage you to do this. There's also a little activity on the back. If you're a doodler or it helps you to concentrate by actually using your hands, there's something you can do there. So there's this story in John chapter 9 that I want to share with you that encourages me as a person whom I would consider myself weak in sharing my faith. And it's the story of Jesus and the man who was born blind. So let's open this up. Let's read this together. John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? See, for some reason in the disciples' worldview and their understanding of theology, the only reason bad things happen in someone's life is because someone caused it. Someone is personally responsible for all the negative circumstances in your life. But that's not true. Um, we ask the question of why do bad things happen? Where does evil come from? Well, the answer to that question is evil entered the world when Adam and Eve chose sin and self over God, Um, the very first people. And we've all been born into that state of separation from the Lord and, and preferring self and preferring sin over God. And so really humanity, all of us throughout the ages, sort of share in the blame for all the evil that happens in the world. But you can look at your own life, and I can look at my own life, and I know that there are negative circumstances I've encountered that I I can't point a a finger at a specific person. I can't say this is their fault. Now, there are some things that happen in our lives that are a direct result of sin, of course. If I speed, and then I get pulled over, and then I get a ticket, and my insurance goes up, well, I'm paying the consequence for the sin I committed, for the wrong I did, right? But there are other things that happen in our lives that either happen to us or we're born into them, a circumstance. Something happens in our life that no one individual is responsible for, but we've still got to deal with it, and we've still got to walk it out with, with the Lord. And so Jesus sort of corrects their wrong theology there, and he says, no, it's not that this man sinned, it's not that his parents sinned, but this has happened in his life, so that God might be displayed, the work of God might be displayed in his life. And what I would encourage us to think about here, whatever issue um, stands before you, whatever walls, whatever darkness, whatever deception is coming against you, whatever circumstances in your life um, that is holding you back, that is tripping you up, that is is perpetuating a sense of, of evil and brokenness in your life, it may be the direct result of one person's action, Or it may just be part of living in a broken and corrupt world. But no matter what it is, God can cause good to come out of it. God can cause good to come out of the bad circumstances in our lives. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples in this moment. It was neither this man nor his parents who sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus has this little teaching moment with his disciples. He says, 
As long as it is daytime, a time when you can see what's happening, we must do the work of him who sent me. Nighttime is coming, and nighttime is representative of a time when you can't see. You can't see what's happening, what's around you. Nighttime is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am in the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, who is Jesus talking to when he says these words? Who's he addressing? His disciples, yeah. So his disciples are there with him. They've come across this man. They ask him a question. He responds to their question, and he's talking to them. But I believe also that the blind man is sitting there listening and hearing everything that Jesus is saying. And I think even though Jesus is directing his words towards the disciples, I think he's also speaking to the blind man to say that daytime is here, and we can work during the day when we can see. But nighttime is coming. There's a time when we can't do the work that God has called us to do. And even though you don't know it, blind man, your life is about to transform. And I'm calling you and I'm sending you to do something for my kingdom. So then Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So that's John 9, 5. But then if you read in Matthew uh, 5, 14, I believe it is, Jesus actually says, you are the light of the world. And so this is where we get our, our world needs you statement. of our, our world needs you, Jesus, but also Jesus sort of turning that back on us to say, Right, and our world needs you too, my followers. Our world needs you too. So having said this, Jesus does something very interesting. I don't know if any of our medical professionals in the room have ever tried this technique. He spit on the ground, he made some mud with his saliva, and he squished it into the man's eyes. And then he says, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. And then look at what the word Siloam means. In my Bible, there's a parenthetical note that says this word means sent. I love that Jesus sends the man to get his eyes cleaned out and regain his sight at a pool that means the word sent. It's awesome to me. And so the man went away and he washed and he came home seeing. Now this is a man born blind. He's never seen anything ever. And he's now seeing stuff for the first time ever in his entire life. I have no box to put that in. I have no comprehension of what that must be like to see things for the first time ever. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, but others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, yeah, it's me. I am the man. You're not thinking wrong. You're not confusing me with someone else. It's me. It's really me. I'm the one who used to sit and beg. It's me. It's me. I am the man. So then they asked him, "How, how then are your eyes opened? And he replied, the man they call Jesus. He made some mud and he put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and now I can see. Now, if you think about this man and how much he knows about Jesus at this point, as far as we can tell, he only knows two facts about Jesus. He knows Jesus' name and he knows that Jesus did something weird and the result of it was that his life was changed forever. He was blind and now he can see. Those are the only two facts he knows about the Lord Jesus at this point. In fact, he's never even seen Jesus. Because when he was sent away to go wash his eyes out, he was blind and he had his eyes caked over with mud. So he's never even seen Jesus. And yet he's able to share with confidence what's happened in his life because of him. He says, the man they called Jesus made mud. He put it in my eyes and he told me to go and wash. I went and washed and now I can see. And all the people applauded and said, wow, praise God. No, that's not what happens. Look at verse 12. 
Where is this man? They asked him. See, that's why I'm terrified to share my faith. I think I'm going to give it my best effort. I think I'm going to tell the story. I think I'm going to get all the words and the emotions just right. And then no one's going to respond. In fact, they're just going to meet, meet my story with a question that I can't answer. Where is this man, they asked him. And the man who had been healed said, I don't know. He doesn't try to make up an answer. He doesn't try to say, well, I think I saw him go off that way. Or, well, gosh, when I went to the pool, I think I overheard his disciples say they were going over here. He just honestly tells them, I don't know. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. So the man said again, he put mud in my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I can see. You can see his message is shorter. He's honing it. He knows his story. He knows what he experienced, and he's now speaking it with more confidence. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath day. But others said, well, how can a sinner do miraculous signs? And so they were divided. This whole scene just fascinates me. I mean, they are, there's literally a, a miracle standing directly in front of them, talking to them. I mean, a living, breathing miracle. And all they can do is argue about some rules. All they can do is argue about who Jesus might be and how he might have done what he did. They can't even stop and take a second to recognize that the God they say they pursue and love and are trying to honor has performed a miraculous work. Whether they can explain it or not, it's standing right in front of them. So finally, they turned again to the blind man. They said, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And so the man said, he is a prophet. Now, is that true? Is that accurate? That answer? It, it is. Um, Jesus was a prophet, but that's not all that Jesus was. But that's all that, that this man can figure out about Jesus. I was blind. Some dude named Jesus did something weird to my eyes, and now I can see. I don't know who he was. I've never seen him. But I know that my life changed in a way that's inexplainable, and I, ex- I associate inexplainable life change with God. And so if a man did that, then the man must be, the only word I have to call him is a prophet. You see, he's just using the language he has. He's using the words that he has. He doesn't have all the correct terms. He doesn't know all the proper theological explanations to put everything that's happened. He just says, this is the best I know to tell you. This is the best I know how to explain what's happened in my life. And he shares it. So more questions come. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called for the man's parents. Now they're asking for proof. Is this your son? They asked mom and dad. Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? So the parents answered their questions. We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see, or who opened up his eyes, we don't know. Ask him yourself. He's of age, and he can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, because the Jews had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And so this is why his parents said, you can ask him. And so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know that man Jesus is a sinner. And then listen to the man's reply. For the third time he says these three words. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. 
One of the main things I get out of this story is that we have permission when we're sharing our faith and we get questions that come back to us. We have permission to just simply say, I don't know. You share your faith and someone asks you a hard question about Jesus. I I don't know. You share your faith and someone asks you about death and the afterlife and heaven. I, I, don't, I don't know. And so you share your faith and someone wants to understand the Trinity and how can God be here and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can't answer all your questions. I, I, I don't understand how this all works. But what I do know is, he says, what I do know, uh, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But the one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. I can't tell you all the stuff that I don't know, but I can tell you what I do know. Is that I was this way, then Jesus happened, and now I'm this way. That's the part I do know. (laughs) That's the part I do know. Everything else I can't fully explain to you, but this is the part I do know. And so then they hurled insults at him. They said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Well, then I think the, the healed man gets a little sassy here. He says... Well, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens only to godly men who do his will. Now, there's all kind of problems with that. We'll talk about that in a second. Nobody has ever heard of the, um, no one has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of the man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, he gets a little long-winded here, and he tries to start explaining things, and he gets himself into trouble because he says a lot of stuff about God that just isn't true, like that God doesn't listen to sinners. Um, I'm glad he listens to sinners because I, I'm one of those, you know. Anyway, um, the point is he knows what, what he does know about Jesus. He stands on in confidence. And he shares it with confidence. To this they replied, you have been steeped in sin since your birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. So you can see that this man shares his story with his neighbors. He shares his story in front of his family, his parents. He shares his story in front of the religious leaders. Um, I, I think sometimes we feel hesitant to share our story with the people who know us best because they know us best. And we think, you know, if those folks... I can't go to my high school reunion and talk about this. They know what I was like back then. You know, if my coworkers heard that I'd had some religious experience, they're never going to believe me. I just want to say that the people who are closest to you, the people who saw you and knew your life before Jesus, they are the most likely to be touched and transformed by the good that Jesus has wrought in your life. I mean, the neighbors, the first people that the blind man encounters, and they say, isn't that the guy who used to beg blind? And he's like, yeah, that was me. That was me. They are the most likely to be transformed by his story. Those who knew what your life was like before you met Jesus are the ones most likely to be impacted by the change that Jesus has brought to your life. Didn't he or she used to struggle with depression? Yeah, that was me. Weren't they shattered by divorce? Didn't they used to have that horrible addiction? Yeah, that was me. I'm the man. The person who knew us, the people who know us best are those most likely to be transformed by our story. 
And I love that this man gives us permission. And by his story being represented in the Bible, I feel like God, therefore, gives us permission to not have all the answers. That it's okay to respond to people's questions with, I don't know. So let's take a look real quick at this man's success rate. I like statistics and math, like the Susan Box as well. So he's now shared his story three times with three different sets of people. Let's look at how many conversions he's had, how many life changes he's had, how many people have prayed the sinner's prayer with him. He scores a big whopping zero. Nobody. No one, no one has accepted his message. He scores a zero on acceptance. No one believes him. No one's on his side. No one's received his story. Now let's look, pick up with verse 35. Jesus reenters the story here. And when he heard that they had thrown the man out of the synagogue, Jesus went and found him. I think if that was the end of the story, this would be so beautiful and miraculous and awesome. But it even gets better than that. Once Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue, he went and found him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now remember at this point, the, the man who was blind has never actually seen Jesus. He's heard his voice, but when he left Jesus last, he was blind and had spit mud in his eyes. But he hears the familiar voice say, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the healed man says, who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, love these words. You have now seen him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you right now. In verse 38, the man said, Lord, I believe. And he fell and worshipped him. This man scored a zero on sharing his faith. No converts, no believers, no one changes their life. He scored a zero in acceptance. No one accepted his messages. No one accepted his message. Uh, no one believed what he said. But Jesus comes and finds him. He seeks him out. He looks him in the face. He smiles. And he has an exchange with him that communicates, I'm proud of you. You did it. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But you also are the light of the world. I accept you. I receive you. I'm proud of you. Jesus affirmed this man for sharing his story. And see, that encourages me because I know that I'm not responsible for changing anyone's heart or mind. I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit's work. I'm responsible for obeying what God has called me to do and for sharing the story that he has given me to share. What's your story? This man's story was two sentences long. I was blind now I can see. What's your story of life change from encountering Jesus? Maybe, one, maybe some of you experienced a miracle like this man did. Maybe some of you were on the brink of, of death from something and God called you back. Maybe some addiction had riddled your life and God rescued you from it. Maybe some life circumstance had you shackled and chained to bitterness or unforgiveness or some other difficulty and God's spirit set you free. Or maybe you're like me. You're just a person who was born into the world, separated from God, spiritually orphaned, 
And God came and found you and said, I love you and I delight in you and I want you to live with me in my household forever. That's my story. So we did things a little backwards today. Normally for a message, the preacher will read the scripture and then he'll teach the points of the scripture. Today I wanted to do it the opposite. I wanted to sort of teach you through the scripture. And now I just want you to hear the story from start to finish with all that's in your mind, with all that's in your heart right now. Um, And to do this, we have some um, folks from our church who are going to come up. So you guys can come on up to the front. And they're going to actually speak this story out as the characters of the story. And I hope this will make it come alive to you a little bit more than just me kind of standing here and reading it. And as they read, I want to ask you to consider what's your story? What's your two-sentence testimony of life change from Jesus? I once was blank, but now because of Jesus, I am blank. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this man's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, Neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime, and we must do the work of God who sent me while the light shines. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then Jesus anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay, and he said to the blind man, Now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So the man went back, and he washed his face, and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. This caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood, for they noticed the blind beggar was now seeing. They began to say to one another, Isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some of them said, No, it can't be him. But others said, It looks just like him. It has to be him. All the while, the man kept insisting, I am the man who was blind. So finally, they asked him, What has happened to you? And he replied, I met the man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, Go to the pool named Siloam and wash. So I went. While I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. So the people of the neighborhood inquired, Where is this man? And the man replied, I... I have no idea. So the people marched the man over to the Pharisees to speak with them. They were concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes happened on a Sabbath day, a day that no one was allowed to work. Then the Pharisees asked the man, How did you have your sight restored? And he replied, A man anointed my eyes with clay. Then I washed. And now... I can see for the first time in my life. Then an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, 
This man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. But others said, If Jesus is just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? This prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness, putting him on the spot of them all and demanding an answer. They asked, Who do you say he is, this man who opened your blind eyes? He is a prophet of God. Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents to be brought to them. So they asked his parents, Is this your son? Yes. Was he really born blind? Yes, he was. Then the Pharisees pressed his parents to answer. Then how is it that he is now seen? We have no idea. We don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. Now the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish religious leaders, for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus as the Messiah, they would be excommunicated. That's why his parents answered the Pharisees this way. So once again they summoned the man who was healed of blindness, and they said to him, Swear to God you are telling us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? The healed man replied, I I have no idea what kind of man he is. All I know is that I was blind. Now I can see for the first time in my life. But what did he do to you? How did he heal you? The man responded, (laughs) I told you once. You didn't listen. Why do you make me repeat it? Are you wanting to be followers too? This angered the Jewish leaders. They heaped insults on him. We can tell you are one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses, for we know that God spoke directly to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. You surprise me. You say you don't know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes, and, and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. Yet who you ever heard of, yet who has ever heard of a man blind and was healed and given back his eyesight? I tell you, if this man listened from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like this. Some of the Jewish leaders were enraged, and they said, Just who do you think you are to lecture us? You were born blind, filthy sinner. And they threw the man out into the street. When Jesus learned that they had thrown him out, he went to find him, and he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man whose blind eyes were healed answered, Well, who who, who is he, sir? Uh, Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him, all my faith. Jesus replied, You have now seen him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he worshipped him and said, Lord, I believe you. So we set aside a few moments at the end of each of our services here at Christ Community just to sit and listen to the Holy Spirit. 
and just to ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you doing in me? Before I rush out, before I rush out to lunch or football or whatever else is coming up next, I want to take just a couple of moments in your presence, Lord, to listen to you, to hear from you. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. I'll invite the, our um, prayer team to come to the, uh, come to the front, please. And, um, and I'll ask everyone just to stand so if anyone needs to move, they're, they're free to move. But as we have this moment of, of response, I would just ask you, if there's anyone here who has never trusted in Jesus as Savior, you can do that today. Today can be your day of salvation. And I would just ask you to come forward to one of these um, uh, altar prayer partners here and uh, just share with them. And they want to listen to you. They've been trained to, to listen, to pray with, to support, to encourage you. If you've got another issue going on in your life that you'd like for someone to, to pray, uh, pray with you about, they're here for that. Um, if you just want to come and kneel at the altars and pray um, without speaking to one of them, you're welcome to do that as well. If you want to remain in your seat and just think or pray or sit back down and write or journal, you're welcome to do that. However the Lord is calling you to respond right now, I invite you to do it.